It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner, and we got a we got an interesting one in store today, to be sure. Coming up in the third half of our three-hour tour, we're going to talk with uh, Anne-Marie Van Dyne and uh, Lenora Inez Brown from the Flint Institute of Music. Is going to talk about some spectacular things coming up uh, for the month of uh, September. In the middle hour of our three-hour tour. We're going to talk about parenting with author Andy Bomback. His uh, new book is um, Long Days, Short Years, A Cultural History of Modern Parenting. But in case you uh, thought there just weren't enough vampire books in the world, we're going to start out this first hour talking with the author of uh, of a new book. It's uh, somewhat satirical, as can be t- told by the uh, by the title itself. The book is by Diane Hunter. It's called "Oh Great, Another Vampire Book," and Diane joins me by phone. Good morning, Diane. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me. Um, why pick on vi- vampires? I chose vampires to write about, not because I'm a big fan of vampire books, although I don't mind them. I wanted to write about history, and I thought they would be an excellent vehicle for doing so. Um, and and how how does this play out? Is it uh, is it written like like historical fiction? Not so much. It takes place in 2018 in Boston. My protagonist is a college freshman at Boston University <laughs> studying journalism, and um, the book has vampires in it that are from various parts of history, and their stories come into play as they relate to the greater story structure, and that is, um, this is a satire that is exploring the media. So uh, my initial idea for the book was I was sitting in a coffee shop, and I was thinking about my favorite graphic novel, The Watchmen by Alan Moore. And there's a character <laughs> in it called Dr. Manhattan. And Dr. Okay. Manhattan is perceived as somewhat of a new god because he has all these great powers involving, you know, metaphysical reality. And so I just thought on a whim, what if something like that happened now? How would the media react, including social media? Well, And, and that- then I wondered, well, how would vampires uh factor in if, they, if we also found out that they were a real thing and so that's really the whole impetus for writing oh great another vampire book i i uh, found it interesting that you pick on uh, media that's that's a favorite foil of mine 
um, talking about news and and uh, the the quality of it and and whether it's real, whether it's alternative, etc. But you even bring social media into it. In fact, um, <laughs> the the main character of your story, Sarah, um, falls in love with a vampire on a social media dating site. That's right, and she uh, chooses him to go out on a date, uh, sort of on a whim. It was actually a sorority prank where they had to find a date online really quick. And so that's how that comes about. Um, But her being a journalism student is my definite end for talking about all these things, and especially with her generation being a college freshman. So she's kind of at the epicenter of all these things going on with social media in terms of what some people call woke politics or cancel culture and things like that. And so it was a lot of fun to explore those things uh, within the context of there being uh, a new god and with there actually being vampires in the world. And, and Sarah is the character who becomes a somewhat of a new god, and that's um, just sort of an accident that happens when her vampire boyfriend sires her. You know, I didn't um, realize it when, when we first set up this interview that another vampire, or the, that this book, Oh Great, Another Vampire Book, was the first in an Oh Great series. And, and I had been thinking about asking if you were going to go after zombies and was going to suggest. Not so much zombies, but I do have other ideas. Yes, yeah, so this is book one of what I'm calling the Oh Great series. And, um, you know, that's about vampires, of course. And then the next book will probably be Oh Great, another book about Jesus. So essentially, I'm using satire just as a lens to explore big topics that I want to talk about. The, um, yeah, and I, w- I was going to suggest a topic or a title for, um, uh, zombies, <laughs> zombies from oh. <laughs> a- zombies from A to Z. <laughs> yes, they are quite popular in the same way that vampires are. But oddly, um, I'm like I said, not really a huge fan of vampire literature. I, I really love Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and I really like Anne Rice's Interview with the Vampire. But um, so some of this is kind of poking fun a little bit at the vampire genre, not. Not in an insulting way, but just kind of commenting on some of the conventions. Like, for example, in Stephanie Meyer's Twilight, vampires are sparkly. So I address that, and I also address kind of like a long-running joke that vampires are always good-looking. And so I have, of course, I have a vampire who's uh, overweight and has an eating disorder (laughs) to combat that. (laughs) So um, I'm counting this as a vampire book for people who are not necessarily vampire fans. I'm hoping that it appeals to anyone, uh, anyone who likes comedy or who likes to read about the the media. Yeah, I didn't think there was anything left to uh, tease vampires about after the uh, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Slayer movie. Yes, that is true. <laughs> and I am from Illinois originally, so I probably should watch that one, being from the land of Lincoln. Oh, have you not seen it? I have not seen it. Oh, well, is I, it good? Um, <laughs> in, in the way that you can't stop watching. <laughs> Interesting. It's it's a little bit like driving past an accident. Um, 
no it's it's a weird premise and it comes across weird it it is more tongue-in-cheek than than thriller um but what what made you decide to use um this this notion of oh great another one to tackle some of the some of the big issues of the day well in order to talk about vampires i think it's necessary to um put out there that there are a lot of vampire properties out there and so it is it, i think that the title oh great another vampire book it really puts forth the tone which is that it is satirical um but it also has some topics in it that are worthy of dis- discussion and and kind of heady you know especially when it comes to talking about the major topics of the day such as freedom of speech um sustainability in the environment and capital punishment you know i figured since vampires live for so long that sustainability of our planet is something that would be a a priority for them and that factors into the book with a group of vampire scientists that i created that um are influenced by Buckminster Fuller, who is a, you know, very famous futurist. So they call themselves the Fuller Circle, and they're a group of scientists and engineers that create innovations for sustainability. You know, that's um, interesting. With all of the vampire properties that have come down um, over the last century or, or more, is Bella Lugosi still sort of the quintessential vampire? I think he is among uh, students of film. Um, you know, that's that goes back to classic Hollywood when the monster movies were first coming out. You know, yeah. like Lon Chaney uh, being uh, were- a werewolf and Bella being the vampire. Yeah, I just. Um, it, it, uh, and now, does he have anything to do with this, this romantic notion that vampires are formal dressers and good-looking and very suave? Um, I'm not sure about that. Um, that might stem from you know the original source being Bram Stoker. Yeah, but I have to admit that I I have not read that. The one thing I do know about Bram Stoker's books is that it's an epistolary. Which, is, which happens to be a form that I'm very interested in. And so this book is largely structured that way, in that it's not only just a straight narrative. It's written from the point of view of journal entries and lots of news articles and stuff like that, since it's about the media in large part. And I have a lot of uh, clips of how social media would react to things, uh, like, for example, Fox News versus CNN, or how Breitbart might react to something like, you know, a war between humans and vampires, which is like the inciting incident of my novel. Or, you know, the New York Times, how people react on Twitter, The Atlantic, and I have a great scene that I had a lot of fun writing about Tucker Carlson. I have fun with he, Tucker Carlson. I make fun of him a little, but <laughs> I also it's hard not you know, to. kind of present him as, a, as someone you can sympathize with. It's hard not to. He's got to be the last man ever to don a bow tie. Yes, I heard he quit doing that, though, when <laughs> people were kind of poking fun of it. <laughs> um, in this particular um, 
story how how did you decide what things you would uh include and and tackle i you wanted media for sure um and and how much fun was it trying to figure out how to work these issues into the lives of uh what historically have been sort of counterculture characters it came about somewhat organically so i sat down 2018 when i first conceived the idea and you know that was a time where it felt like there was more polarity in our culture you know so that's that's really what i wanted to write about various aspects of the cultural divide and it's kind of hard to to not think about a lot of these things in terms of um, like the main character, Sarah Fielding. She happens to be young, blonde, very pretty, and so sometimes she's not really taken seriously as someone who could be a new god, or she's perceived as a sex object. And, and of course, issues of uh, white privilege and toxic femininity come up. Uh, the use of gender pronouns was something that was coming up in the news a lot. And so when she speaks of God, you know, she's really talking about some very heavy topics, yet people will nitpick and say, oh, I can't believe she used the wrong pronoun. So it's stuff like that that I, I just wanted to respond to, all these things going on in the news. Hello? Hello? Oh, there was a, a big... Click there, and I thought I lost you. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no worries. I don't know. I didn't hear it. Yeah, it was just an electronic pop. Um, let's see. Um, I, I, I don't want to get any, into anything too deep right now because I have a break coming up in about a minute and a half, and uh, I'm hoping, um, Diane, that you'll stick around for a few minutes so we can talk some more because this is. Uh, this is actually a lot of fun, but I will share this this one thing that, that I saw uh, this last year or so that one of the government agencies, and I don't remember if it was CDC or Homeland Security or um, FEMA maybe, put out a um, kind of a fact sheet, a guide to um, dealing with a zombie apocalypse. My goodness. And it was actually meant in fun, but as a way to promote standard kinds of disaster preparedness and reaction. Um, it, it was kind of an interesting little project. And again, it was, it was done very tongue-in-cheek. And and I want to see, um, and and I'm still not a hundred percent sure, a hundred percent sure it wasn't the onion or, you know, somebody poking fun, but it seemed legit. Um, but as I mentioned, I have to take a short break. We'll get into that and a lot more with Diane Hunter, author of uh, Oh Great, another vampire book. Um, after we let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break, if you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-Double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs>
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Babies come with lots of decisions. Cloth or disposable? Crib or bassinet? So when it comes to protection, go with the safest, most effective choice, vaccination. Get all the recommended vaccines for your baby by age two to protect your child against 14 serious childhood diseases. For more reasons to vaccinate, talk to your child's doctor. Go to cdc.gov vaccines or call 800-CDC-INFO. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. 
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation with the author of uh, a new book called Oh Great, Another Vampire Book, Diane Hunter. Diane, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. No problem. Thank you. Um, Diane, your book in in some ways is is kind of an anti-vampire book, but what makes vampire books so popular? It's a really good question. Um, It's hard to say. Um, I have to be honest and say I haven't really been following up with all the latest vampire stuff, Um, although I am familiar somewhat with Stephanie Meyer's Twilight. I think maybe that's what made vampires so popular in recent generations. Um, You know, those movies were huge, and I referenced them a few times in my book, kind of poking fun a little bit, because um, I put vampires in my book to write about history. You know, I think it's so fascinating to talk, to get like a firsthand report of someone who has witnessed really interesting parts of history. But I noticed that in Twilight, some of the vampires are very old, but I didn't find that the protagonist, Bella, was really that intellectually curious about it. So it's kind of a comment on that somewhat. Is it is it possible um, that the the vampire lore is appealing because most of us fear death? That's a, that's a really interesting question. It's possible. I mean, that was certainly the, um, the hypothesis of a famous book from the 70s, The Denial of Death by Ernst Becker. Um, he proposed that most people's motivations were based in this fear of death. And, and and I just wonder if that isn't part of the appeal of vampires, um, because they well, live they're often forever. portrayed as being good looking too. So not only are they, um, not only do they are they immortal, but they also get to be fantastically rich and attractive. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if I'd want to live forever if I wasn't. <laughs> I know. I, I really couldn't imagine being immortal and having a terrible job and paying rent for that long. <laughs> that, that would be kind of permanently awful. Um, it would. <laughs> but but let's look at, at some of the ways in which you're able to, to um, not only look at history, but also um, contemporary issues like gun rights and... and um, the environment are just a couple that that come to mind. We talked about the media a little bit, but um, gun, it seems like guns by and large would be sort of moot in a vampire story. Right. Um, Well, I do create a new weapon in it that um, the government has invented to detect and kill a vampire. So that is something that comes up in the book. Ah. Um, I guess I don't get uh, it shoots too much wooden into stakes. Into gun rights. <laughs> a gun that shoots wooden stakes. Well, as far as the history goes, uh, my main vampire, his name is Roman McClary. Yeah. He was sired at the Battle of Bunker Hill, so he is a literal patriot. And I find that living outside of Boston, I 
I'm not from here, but when I moved here, I became very interested in that um, that era of history, colonial times, and so that factors in in terms of his memories of the development of our country in terms of the suffragist movement, and he was a abolitionist at one point and references seeing Frederick Douglass speak at Daniel Hall. So there's things like that that come up do you in go back to further that are going than, on now. Do you go back further oh, than yeah. that and bring vampires I over do. from the old world, from, from Europe and Western Europe and so on? Um, because oh, it, yeah. it, it, there is a certain conclave, if you will, around the, the Civil War and around the Boston area of these vampires and and it all starts working up toward a war between humans and vampires as i understand that's right um so in the book i have a group of elder vampires which is a convention i i got from buffy the vampire slayer (laughs) (laughs) it's a group of elders and they're composed of you know three vampires that have been around a very long time and my favorite one i named larry he is an ancient Greek, and he's from the golden age of Athenian philosophy at a time when he happened to be best friends with the philosopher Epicurus. And that's very important because Epicurus was a philosopher who was a big proponent of open dialogue. And as you know, the founders of our country were very influenced by these classic Greek ideas because if you don't have open dialogue then it's harder to arrive at the truth. And that factors into the basis of freedom of speech. So that's extremely important in the book because a lot of people are getting censored on Twitter and things like that. So I really wanted to comment that within the context of this vampire who was actually friends with Epicurus and was able to talk about how that all developed those um, like foundational ideas that our country is based on. Does, so that's another example of how uh, the history factors into the vampires. I, and I apologize, I haven't had a chance to read the book, but um, does does the book address these issues sort of parenthetically as a as a an overreaching arc um, is the storyline, and and it reads like a novel, reads like a story, and not a treatise on these these different uh, issues like media, gun rights, racism, free speech, and so on? It reads like a novel, and, and these are issues that come up that are commented on by the characters. So really, there's three main components to the book. Is It's theological in nature. Um, there's a new God, and the world has to contend with this. The media responds in such a way that is wacky, which is, which factors into the cultural divide that I thought was really getting amped up in 2018 when I sat down to write the book. And there's also vampires who might be waging a war against humans. And it's because of that, you know, God is allowing that to happen because it's based on the premise that God is actually upset with us. He's upset at how we behave and how we've destroyed the planet. You know, you talk about this this sort of um, civil war that's that's brewing or going on, and how does that compare to or 
or perhaps analyze the kind of divide that we're living in politically now and which uh, and and uh, of the divide we're living in now which ones are the vampires <laughs> oh I, i've actually been asked this before i've been asked if um that's actually an allegory for the right versus the left and um i was not thinking of it that way and the war that i proposed at the beginning of the book between humans and vampires actually that doesn't end up being like a huge plot point it the larger issue is that god is allowing it to happen because god is upset and because he's upset he decides he's going to let sarah take over to be the new god and as far as like the um commentary the the divide in the book that's more that's kind of all over the place like when i bring up political issues i'm not a proponent of the right or the left i believe that i comment on both sides and make fun of everyone in a way. Well, there's certainly fun to be made on both sides. Yeah, and there's certainly a lot to comment on in terms of what goes on on social media on a daily basis and how people behave reflexively without there being that open dialogue, you know, so revered by the ancient Greeks. When um, there's... A religious component to this book, you know, it's it's pondering the role of God and the just the idea that there's a new God and and that God is upset with us. And right. you said that the next book in the O Great series is going to be another book about Jesus. Um, is it your intention to um, explore aspects of religion? Um, throughout the O Great series? Not at all. In fact, I wasn't thinking of that at all, <laughs> that this is about God and the second one is about Jesus. My intention is to write about things that I'm interested in and, you know, theological issues that happens to be one of them, but also history and philosophy. And, you know, I, I love literature and commenting on people in the media and things like that. And comedy, of course, like there's jokes peppered throughout. <laughs> I'm a big fan of Mel Brooks and his style of uh, doing satire. How not to be a fan of Mel Brooks. Um, in fact, uh, I'm still waiting for um, History of the World part, is it part one or part two? I can't remember if the movie he did was part one or two. I have to be honest and say I don't remember that, although that does harken Jackie Mason. He did some sort of like stand-up special a long time ago that was kind of based on that <laughs> that idea. Yeah, and, and uh, Mel Brooks in, in the movie plays a stand-up philosopher. That is really hilarious because I don't think that I knew that. And in my second book, Oh Great, Another Book About Jesus, I created a character who was a stand-up comedian, but also a Roman senator. Yeah, he's he's trying to um, he's he's playing Caesar's palace. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and um, okay, I have to watch this now because I reference Caesar's palace too. Oh, and no. he and he gets uh, you know kind of a, an off with his head sort of response from Caesar, and he says. Boy, when you die at the palace, you really die at the palace. 
as opposed to going up there and killing. Yeah. It would be the opposite. Right. <laughs> well, I just wrote that down. I'm definitely going to have to watch that. I feel bad that I hadn't heard about that one. But when you talk about Mel Brooks and, and being a fan of, of his particular take on on the world and he has done some he has done some interesting things and i can understand you know your affinity for for mel brooks because a lot of the work that you do is is trying to do the same thing take on very serious issues in a very tongue-in-cheek way in Um, a very light way though that that's really the main point when i mention mel brooks is that he's light-hearted and he's fun and he's good-natured I also like early Woody Allen movies because they're so silly. I had um, the the great uh, privilege of having uh, Carl Reiner as a guest on oh, the my show goodness. many years ago. And he told a story about Mel Brooks, and he Carl Reiner was teaching him how to do a French accent. And he would say, you know, this is Zeno's, and... This is the ear, and you know they they would go back and forth doing this accent thing, and he points up toward his eye. Carl Reiner does and says, "This is the eye," and Mel Brooks looks at him and pokes himself right in the eye. Actually, touches his finger to his eye, and says, "That's not the eye. This is the eye." And he said, "There's only two of us in the room." And Mel was still playing for laughs. That's unbelievable. He just seems like such a good-natured, nice guy. I would give anything to meet him. Oh, I would too. And and I would love to have uh, Mel Brooks on the show um, just to have the other half of, of that team because they were very, very good friends. It wasn't just that they had, you know, that Grammy-winning album, but they... They spent a lot of time together. Um, you mentioned zombies earlier. Mel Brooks's son is an author of zombie novels. Oh, really? I didn't. I didn't realize that. Now, I just had. Um, I just did an interview. It hasn't aired yet with uh, Charles Schultz's son, Monty, who has a book. I'm called... sorry, I'm not familiar with them. Oh, Charles Schultz, the creator of Peanuts. Oh, the the Peanuts. Yeah. Yes. Oh wow! Yeah, his son Monty. I didn't know that I just, his son was an artist. He he is a, a writer, um, and uh, also a musician. Um, but we we talked about this book he's been working on for years, and it's it's called Metropolis, and it's kind of dystopian and um, high tech, and it, it's very very different. It's it's not Charlie Brown, <laughs> that's for sure. Um, is that a reference to the sci-fi film Metropolis from the twenties or thirties? You know, it could be. It could be. I I I didn't confirm that in our conversation. Um, he he was just struggling for a place for what to call this the city that had been taken over by technology. But um, at least that's the way he described it to me. But but in any event, it's it's kind of interesting. Um, yeah, I would like to. Uh, yeah, I would love to interview Mel Brooks. Um, and and sadly, we don't know how much longer he'll be around. I was thinking that. Yeah, especially with the with the zombie apocalypse on um, coming soon. You know, you never know who's <laughs> going to make it. Who's going to survive? 
Oh, I, he might. <laughs> he might actually become a zombie. Well, maybe with the help of the sun, they can survive together. That, um, well, they can always check with FEMA on how to, how to survive a uh, zombie. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that, because there actually is a public service announcement, a PSA that came out in the city of New York about what to do in the event of the nuclear blast. I mean, how grim is that? Yeah, there, you know, there's, of course, strange things happen in New York. Just recently, they um, they banned uh, the the aerosolized whipped cream. No, no, they didn't ban it. You have to be 21 to buy it, and you have to, to buy whipped cream, and you have to show ID. And the reason is, they claim that uh, that young people, once the um, whipped cream is is gone from the can, they're they're using the um, uh, whatever the the gas is that that propels the whipped cream to get high. My goodness! It's what are the mandates for Easy Cheese? It's called whippets or, or something. And <laughs> I, I thought. Boy, it just doesn't get any stranger than this. How do you, how do you write the strange when reality is already so strange? And that's why I feel like my book kind of wrote itself. You know, <laughs> there's so much to comment on. There, there really is. Um, did you have to do any research for this for this book, or was it all, you know, purely out of your imagination? Uh, most of it was um, just stuff that I think about that I, I witness every day on social media and on the news. But when it comes to like more obscure aspects of history, like the main elder vampire who comes from the area that that Dracula is purported to come from, from the original Bram Stoker text, you know, the Carpathian Mountains. And so I had to do some research on the Iron Age, you know, like how did people live way, way back then? in order to depict that. And that's actually one of my favorite things to do, is to do research and to imagine a world and write stories, you know, based in that world. Now, this book is, oh great, another vampire book. You're, you're um, developing or contemplating or maybe even working on already um, another book in the series, oh great, another book about Jesus. What are some of the other things, or have you thought it out that far? Is it just some things come to you, and, and this is a, a venue for uh, getting those thoughts out there? I have thought ahead a little bit. You know, I like to take well-established genres and, and play around with them. And it's possible that the third one might be, oh, great, another book, another superhero book. I'm not really positive yet, uh, but I do write about a lot of these ideas on my website, um, dianehunterauthor.com, and there you can find links for all the books that I've written, and I have written other books uh, before the Oh Great series. I do have a sci-fi series and a book of short stories that's kind of rooted in the Midwest, where I'm from, and so that's all on my website. You And I just want to say to anyone that if they do buy a book on Amazon, it's really helpful if you write a review. Ah, good, good thing to mention. 
you previously published under a different name, D.A. McQuinn. I did. Um, yes, and the reason why I chose a new name for the series is to differentiate it from my previous writing. But yes, you're right, D.A. McQuinn, M-A-C-Q-U-I-N. Um, was there, Diane, was there a reason you wanted to write under that particular nom de plume? Is it because it was non-gender specific? Not at all, no. I was just thinking uh, of creating a, a name that combined, you know, just so I could form my own identity, because it was my name mixed with my uh, married name, McQuinn, and I just liked the sound of it. And, yeah, that's all the thought that went into that. Well, I but, just, yeah, I have a sci-fi uh, series. Now, um, that's available on your website. Are, are you renaming yourself on those on those books as their uh no no they they stand as a separate group of books i've written interesting but right now i'm mainly focused on um the series this oh great series of satire in part because it's just so much fun well you and know, we to talk to we need a laugh exactly we really need it's a laugh. It's important to laugh at what's going on in the world. <laughs> um, are, are you concerned at all in this um, age of being woke and politically correct and sensitive and all that, that uh, um, something you go for, for for humor might be hurtful? Or is the fact that you're dealing with vampires um, take it out of the realm of of personal attack well i think that if it's couched in absurdity there's less of a chance of it being hurtful um however you know you never know and there's always the possibility of someone being offended i'm not incredibly worried about it because i i do think that i'm, I'm pretty respectful and i'm not i'm uh, i have good intentions and my purpose is not to denigrate anyone well and that's and and that was kind of uh, at the heart of um, Rod Serling's creation of the Twilight Zone, you know, if if all of these hateful things, you know, racism and bigotry and uh, violence and, and all of these things happened in this other dimension, it wouldn't be a problem for censors. Oh, so was <laughs> that his point of doing that genre? Kind of. It, it, that was all. That was all part of the development of of that world. If if something happened in the Twilight Zone, it wasn't likely to be offensive to uh, to the censors, which had a lot of power at the time he was getting started. Anyway, I love Rod Serling. I used to watch that when I was a kid. Oh, I do too. And and it was interesting to find out that he. Um, was a writer for a short time in the original Planet of the Apes movie. And they oh, really? They kept his ending. Oh, wow. The the Statue of Liberty sticking out of the beach. Can't you almost hear the music from Twilight Zone now when you look at that? I can. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Diane, it's been a real pleasure. And uh, I have a break coming up here in just a few seconds, but I want to say thank you for spending this time with me and the listeners. And keep up the good work. Thank you so much. And if anyone wants to check out the books, 
with links to buy, it's dianehunterauthor.com. Hi, this Thanks is so Joel much. Bye from Thank the you. Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi. .gov slash AG complaints for your connection to consumer protection. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner program begins its 15th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell, East Village Magazine, Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg, Flint Community School, MTA Flint, Flint Comics and Entertainment, Hamity Complete Food Center, The Flint River Watershed Coalition, WH Weiscarver, The Genesee County Road Commission, Long Museum Auto Fair, Thomas Appliance, The Genesee Health Plan, Flipflip Technology, My Community College, it's Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner program is provided by Swiftlet Technology. 
engineering and IT services at swiftland.technology. Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. But Old Weird Harold and I, Old Weird Harold, we called him that because he was 6'9", weighed 50 pounds. We used to use him to get the football out of the sewer. We used to go to every harem picture in the world. I'm telling you right now, we would go and we would see Frankenstein. We'd walk a hundred miles to see Frankenstein. And mind you, we never saw the monster once. Never saw him once, because we were too scared to look at him. And we had the best seats in the movie. We used to sit right up front. I mean, right up front. That's where you can see everything. You just look right up front there. And we'd say to each other, you going to look at the monster this time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, don't lie now. If you're not going to look at him, say that. You might as well get right on the floor now if you're not going to look at him. You didn't look at him the last time. Yes, I did. Don't lie. Put it on. Oh, look out. That's where we stayed for 12 days. Used to go home with 100 black juju fruits all on our backs. Yeah. So... My mother, we used to stay over and over and over trying to get to see the monster, but we couldn't do it. We were too scared. And my mother used to come for me. Would you come home? Get up off the floor and come home. You know, and the guys would rise. Hey, cuz, your mom came for you again. You shut up. So my mother said one day, she said, I'm not coming for you. That's all. You know, you'll come home yourself. Walk on the Ninth Street Bridge in the dark by yourself if you don't know how to come home. Oh, mom, you'll come home for us. So... We're watching this one picture, and it was it was a heck of a picture. It was one of the one of the greatest. They they had uh, Frankenstein, Wolfman, Dracula, the Hunchback, the Mummy. Everybody was in it, and Harold and I stayed on that floor. Our eyes were closed all day. We never came up one time for air. Every time there was somebody on that screen, we didn't want to see. The Mummy's in there now. Oh, we don't want to look. We don't want to look. And we sat through about 12 showings of the same picture. You gonna look this time? No, get up off the floor. No, I ain't getting up nowhere. It ain't gonna get me. So, finally, during the cartoon, I got up and I looked around. And I said, hey, Harold, there's nothing here but grown-ups. And Harold said, yeah. Because that's what he always says whenever I'm right. He's my closest friend, you know. I said, ask that man what time it is. Hey, mister, what time is it? It's 10 o'clock. Oh, Harold. Oh, Harold, we're in trouble. 10 o'clock, yeah. 10 o'clock, that's when the monsters come out. And my mom didn't even come for us, man. Well, she said she would, yeah, but she's supposed to come for us, man. She ain't supposed to let us go home at 10 o'clock with all the monsters out of thing, man. And we walk out of the movie crying, oh, we got out of 10 o'clock. Now, the walk home, Ninth Street Bridge has no lights whatsoever, which is highly, well, it's the only way to get home. And we are sick. You're talking about two scared kids just walking, you know, arm in arm, not even picking our feet up off the ground because we want to be ready. If the monster touches us, we want to be ready to jump straight up to heaven. You know, when you pick one leg up, you take a chance on going sideways. 
You know, when we got on late, we just dragged, sending our toes out six feet ahead of us like radar. Kids coming, kids coming. And I'm telling you, really scared, ready to go any second. And I bumped into Harold. Bump. I said, Harold, did I bump into you? Harold said, no. I said, don't lie to me now, Harold. Because if I bumped into you, say that I bumped. Even if I didn't bump into you, Harold, say that I bumped into you. Because if I didn't, we're going to get eaten alive. You know that, don't you? Harold said, well, you bumped into me. I said, okay, don't lie anymore. Now, I don't know the name of the wino that came out of the alley that, that uh, emptied onto the Ninth Street Bridge. I don't even care what the guy's name is, man. All I know is that he was wrong. That's all I can say. He was pure D wrong. You just don't walk out of an alley that empties on the Ninth Street Bridge without making some sort of announcement, warning little kids. Look out, little kids, coming home from the Ashton movie after seeing a whole lot of horror monsters. There's just nobody that can hurt you. It's just a little old wino. And he came out. Now, I'm sure while filling out the accident report on this man that the doctor said, what happened? I don't know. It was just four feet, ran right up my chest, danced on my head for a half hour, and then ran straight down my back, doctor. What, did they say anything? Yes. They said, ah! Did you see them at all? Yes, it was a little kid riding on top of a tall skinny one, and he was beating him with a stick saying, faster, faster, you fool, you fool. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Don't 
show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here. <laughs> 